Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. When you go after the trophy enough times, you start to realize that getting the trophy feels really cool for a minute and then it goes away. And I've, I've really in the past few years started to internalize the idea that anytime I've ever been purely driven by the trophy, the, the carrot at the end of the stick, I lose something. I end up losing more than I gain and you end up misleading yourself. And it's only when I'm able to realize that I'm doing that and I come back to a place of curiosity that then everything kind of writes itself. Friends, I've got all of the best things for you today. It's my friend. He is named Nicholas Cole, most lovingly called Cole. And he is the number one most read writer on Quora and also the founder of Digital Press, which is an incredible thought leadership content and branding agency. He has been having his team or himself writing for so many CEOs. It's going to actually blow your mind if you really grasp the magnitude of impact he's having. And I figured he'd be the perfect person to talk to about how you can be a better writer because he writes a lot of viral content. And I think whether you're writing an email at work or you're writing a blog for work, no matter what you're doing, we're always using words. And so I figured this would be the perfect person to talk to you about that. So Cole, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the most hype intro of all time. Whoop, whoop. I'm your hype girl. Let's get this. Whoop, whoop. I was listening to Space Jam last night, and it's still happening right The greatest movie of all time. Not the movie, just the song. Everybody get up. Didn't you think that this would be such an intellectual, you're so high level, let's just bring you down a bit. To me, I'm well. Yo, I'm all for it. I I had that soundtrack on repeat from ages like eight to twelve and a half. Exactly, eight to twelve and a half. I was I was balling every day to I, Space Jam. I'm age thirty two, and um, I definitely put it on in my noise cancelers on the airplane, and I definitely shimmied in a middle seat. That's that's everyone else is jealous of your lifestyle. Don't worry about it. Everybody needs to have a good time. Um. So on a more serious note, um, writing, like, I feel like you have such an interesting background and of course I need to ask you the story. So for everybody listening, what got you here? Why are you such a good writer outside of having the natural skill? Is it even a natural skill? These are the questions I have. I talk about, I've shared my story a lot, so we'll do the nutshell here, Mm -hmm. but nutshell was 
uh, when I was a teenager, um, I had one of the first really big uh, gaming blogs. I was 17. You know, I was a, one of the highest ranked World of Warcraft players in North America, and I wrote about it. And I attracted a very large audience at a time way before blogging was even cool. So that kind of introduced me to the internet and the power of uh, like everything that I talk about today, personal branding, having an audience, um, the concept of being seen as an influencer, all the things that we have names for now. In 2007, it was just called You're a Weird Kid with a Blog. So that kind of laid the groundwork for me, which in a very interesting and unconventional way. Um, when, when studied journalism for a year, realized that I had no interest in, you know, following what I saw to be a very outdated industry. Mm. You know, I, I sat in my first class and my teacher was like trying to tell all 500 students that blogging was a, was a trend and the internet was a fad and it was going to die. And I lived on the internet cause I was a aspiring pro gamer and I wholeheartedly disagreed with his thesis. And so I was like, you know what? I understand this side of it. I actually want to master my craft instead. So we went and studied uh, fiction writing, actually, uh, in college. Didn't do much on the internet. Mastered words and reading great writers. Um, got really into bodybuilding, started writing about fitness. Uh, that became my first real viral hit. I wrote a piece on Quora that was very short. It was about two or three paragraphs. And it was the answer to this question, is it possible to change yourself so much that you no longer recognize yourself? And at the top of the answer, I put a before and after photo, me at, you know, 16, 17 years old. I was really sick growing up. I didn't know that I had celiac disease until I was 18. Uh, and on the right was a picture of me, you know, seven-ish years later, eight years later, uh, as a bodybuilder, like 100 pounds heavier, wow. just totally shredded. <laughs> like that was my whole life. And it went viral, went front page of Reddit. Uh, started getting all these emails about, you know, what do you eat? What's your workout routine? And that became my first product, which was a fitness ebook series that ended up selling in 30 countries plus around the world and introduced me to the idea of uh, sharing what you know and using that as kind of what I later learned was called top of funnel content mm -hmm. that then could bring people down to, you know, the next thing and the next thing. And that's, that's when I really started to think, okay, how can I approach writing from a perspective and point of view where I have total ownership over what I do? Mm -hmm. uh, I, that's when I like, I all of a sudden abandoned the dream of, you know, becoming a, a published writer with a book deal. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, um, that's when I abandoned the, like, I'm going to follow the formal footsteps of what it means to be a writer and I just went completely my own way. And then that moved into, you know, worked in advertising, learned the business side of it. Um, in 2015, 2016, I kind of hit, hit my peak on Quora and, and was the, the most read writer on that entire platform with like 200, 300 million users, which was pretty, that was, I think very much a testament to how I approached it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there, fell into the world of ghostwriting and uh, started with, you know, one person, one executive that said, hey, I need help with my writing. One turned to two as a referral, two turned to four, four turned to me <laughs> ghostwriting four or five articles a day, seven days a week. Wow. Uh, just a, a level, a very, very unique level of output that took me 10 years to get to. And 
and then that's what sparked this idea of maybe I can start a company. Mm-hmm. And now we work with, you know, we've probably worked with close to 200 executives and founders at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, you said something that I find is the crux of where so many people go off in their career. You said, I wanted to study journalism, and then I realized that wasn't the way I wanted to do it. And I think that as anyone in the workforce, we have an interest, whether it's or a passion or an ability, which in your case, I would call this a unique ability. And I like to call it as a career coach, like a foundational skill set. So words are a foundational skill set. No matter what you do, you're going to leverage them is what I would believe. And I think it's very interesting that a lot of people go off path in their career because they misunderstand their foundational skill. So in your case, you looked at your ability with words and you thought journalism when that just wasn't the way for you to go. So that was just one thought that I was having. But secondly, Mm -hmm. I was listening to all of the ways that you were using your writing ability And I was curious, how do you manage being a creative person that wants to create from the heart and then writing for your clients or doing the projects that are going to help your business get somewhere? Because even for me, as I write my book for Hay House right now, you know, I want to write what I want to write. And then I also want to write something that's going to do well and sell. So how much do you think about both of those things? It's a great question. Uh, That is, to me, that is the whole question, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of coming to terms with that in yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's one, it's one of those things you obviously, any big lesson in life, you have to learn in it. You can't really learn thinking about it. You can't learn theorizing about it. And I think where that crystallized for me was, um, Somewhere in me, I, I still was attached to that pipe dream of I'm going to write a bestseller and then my entire life's going to change. And, you yeah. know, it's like it's kind of the dream that all all kids have when they're studying writing in college or when you're younger or whatever. And so um, after I graduated, I had already started working on my first book called Confessions of a Teenage Gamer. And it was it was about my years in like when I t- when I say I was 17 and I was you know, playing world of Warcraft relentlessly, like on the surface, it's like, haha, you know, Mm -hmm. but what a lot of people actually don't know kind of about that story is that the whole esports world that's just exploding today. I was one of a handful of gamers in that era that basically like created that Mm -hmm. we were the ones throwing tournaments when brands didn't sponsor it or we were the ones that organized it ourselves because we just loved doing it. Mm-hmm. And then it naturally became kind of this thing that we all knew it was going to become. And that was such a unique story for me. And I wanted to write about it and also write about my own, like what I learned about myself in the process and teenage angst and all of that. And as I was going through this whole process and writing it, I was still attached to that dream of like, I'm going to write this. And then overnight, everything's going to change about my life. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't until I actually published it that I realized kind of what you just talked about, which is the two sides that you have to navigate. And I wrote a really niche memoir and I spent four years on it and I loved it and it came from the heart and it was everything that I wanted it to be. But I knew at the end of the day, it wasn't going to be a a New York times bestseller. Everyone's got to talk about this. Mm. And, and it really wasn't until I got into ghostwriting that I understood why. And I understood what it, 
how you need to think in order to write things that attract attention, that sell, um, which is a whole, I, I, I differentiate it as that's a science and then the other side is an art Mm -hmm. and you need to be okay with the fact that I think you're in a much better position if you are able to separate in a sense. And then in separating, you can take skills from both sides and combine them. And I think over time there will be a natural progression, but you know, this past year I worked with, just as a quick side story, I worked with a, a very impressive um, Grammy-winning artist. I, you all would know who. And uh, I went and hung out with him for, for about two days. We were working on a project together. And he was talking about how part of the challenge when you're creating for the sake of selling is that you are always kind of driven by that. You're very attached to it. And then it becomes a habit and then it becomes like a compulsion because you're, you're always doing that. And when I was telling him what I do and you know, my company and now the position that I'm in, he actually was like, I really envy that because now you can create your money isn't dependent upon, uh, your art. That is and so I, much. Yeah. And I, th- I thought that was such a fascinating thing. Cause here I'm, I mean, this is like, this is like an idol of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up listening to this guy's music. I was just so excited for this project. And here he was saying to me, I envy your situation. And I was like, well, that, that's just, that's, that took a while to reflect on, yeah, you know? Totally. It's so interesting when you really, start to make an impact out there and we connect with people like this and we get the reality versus the thought we are having about where they're at with their art or their life. And I'm curious, what are a few things before we get into your steps on how to be an incredible writer or a better writer? What are some of the things looking back on your memoir for anyone who's listening that you're like, wow, I really needed to consider this, that, or the other thing before I started writing? Well, I guess kind of building on what I just said, like the the biggest thing is a just acknowledging myself that um, I wouldn't change the path yeah. because I I knew that what I was working on at different points in the journey wasn't eventually I knew what that wasn't the thing that was going to be like the bestseller, so I think sooner than later, really internalizing and understanding for yourself like what are you doing for an income leap in your life and what are you doing for a creative leap, leap, a self-awareness leap. And that's what that project always was for me. And, and I knew so, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this to no end is like, I've always been a firm believer in at a certain point, your, your outward facing income, professional success, achievement, all of that can't continue. It can't get any higher unless you move forward with something very foundational, which tends to be inside yourself, self-awareness, um, yeah. creative ability, things that have more to do with your emotional capacity. So I think the biggest thing is just encouraging people to, to understand the differences between the two and know, step one, am I working on an outward-facing uh, goal mm-hmm. or am I working on an inward-facing goal? And they both have merit, they both have purpose, but where people get lost is they work on one and expect the other. Wow. That's really interesting. Am I working on an inward facing goal or an outward one? You know, I obviously am asking you these questions for everyone and for myself because <clears throat> it's like I'm writing this this book right now and I submitted it and all the publishers liked the writing, but they didn't even know what the book was. 
like they're like, what are you writing about? Like, is this a memoir? Is this self-help? Is this a career book? Like, where on the shelf do you want to sit? Yeah. And I was just like, I'm not sure. And bless, you know, Penguin and Hachette and all the people who bid on it anyway. But as they were bidding, they're like, this isn't complete. We just like the way you write and think you can move books. But can you, like, make this a little more career-y, you know, for yep. lack of a better term? And... For a while, I was writing this book, and, like, I felt like I was, like, jamming career advice into the book, and it almost felt like when I'm really full on Thanksgiving and I'm forcing another snack in me. Like, <laughs> like just, like, why am I forcing this in here? And I've only now calibrated and found the middle of here's my story, and it actually is your story, and here's the advice that relates to what I needed to know um, about career. And so... Mm-hmm. It is interesting to have such an inward and outward. It is inward and outward. It's like a book that I'm reflecting on my life, and it's outward. It's, it's an impact, and it's something I want to get out there. So I'm curious, like, how do you stay true to yourself? <laughs> Practice. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, I, something that you just said that it was also a big light bulb for me along the path is, you know, you talk about finding that uh I like to, this is what I would refer to in my own process as the golden intersection, which is part of what you're saying is I'm going to teach you. And the other part of what you're saying is, and here's my personal story. Here's how I did it. Exactly. And I think that was another like very, very big part of my own process and learning was when I was in school or just earlier in my career as a writer, it, right when you're beginning writing to you feels very you being the holistic you yeah. right all of us writing feels very um it's almost you treat it kind of selfishly because you're like it's all about me i'm i'm the main attraction here i'm what's special and as you go along i think kind of regardless of if you're approaching it from a business perspective nonfiction. Uh, memoir, fiction, it really doesn't matter. You start to learn that you are not the main attraction. The reader is the main attraction. And where that comes in is what you're explaining where, and that's honestly what all the publishers ask for. It's just from my perspective, I feel like they ask for it in a way where they don't fully even understand what they want. They just want to sell copies. Mm -hmm. But what I see it as and what I understand it as is the reader needs to feel in some way, like they are the main character. The easiest way of doing that is saying, I'm going to teach you something. Boom. That's every self-help book on earth, right? I'm, I'm talking to you. Yeah. But, but how you do that with other genres is you think about who is that reader and how can what I'm saying mm-hmm. accentuate, illuminate, amplify the feeling that they already feel. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where that, you know, the whole question of, well, how do you stay true to yourself? That's, I think that is like a very loaded yeah, question because it it, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. earlier in your career, in your journey, I think a person would hear that and be like, well, staying true to myself means writing whatever I want, no matter what. Mm. And, and more mature me and further along would take that as how do I continue feeling really happy when I sit down to write, but also achieving the goal of, am I, am I hitting the reader? Are are they, are they the main attraction? Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's exactly where I just got. And it's, it's been such an interesting process for me. And 
I'm also curious, Cole, like, and I've never asked you this when we sat down and just had coffee, but I'm always curious to wonder where you're at because I really relate to you, not from the gaming standpoint, even though I did crush it at Donkey Kong so far from the game. <laughs> but, like, I super relate to you as a creative, and I recently went on this trip to the Middle East with a bunch of, and, and, and it, they called the trip storytellers. So I didn't really know who was on it and it was, it was given to me for free. So I was just like, I'm showing up at this thing mm. and it was 50 people. And I'm so used to you and I being in our group of friends that I was like, oh yeah, it's obviously a bunch of self-help writers or something, right. but I was the only one. And it was so good for me. And I was around people who wrote Netflix TV shows, who wrote movies, um, people who have the bandwidth and patience with themselves and discipline is really the word I'm looking for to get up every day and write a script, whether it's bought by Warner Brothers or whatever or not. And it was so fun to be around those sorts of creative minds because there's some parts of myself that I haven't really brought into my friend, our friendship group. Like, like funny stuff. Like I make memes out of people and like some of the friends like think it's really funny and I'll text it to them. Other people like <laughs> don't have that kind of sense of humor. You totally do. Like I could so send I've you definitely, some... I've definitely made a meme of friends before. Yeah, yeah. Like I could send you some weird shit. I already know that. And it's like a lot of these people were thinking and seeing, I see the world in a very whimsical way and I see everything as funny. Like everything to me is just pure entertainment most of the time. And yep. I noticed that the, the creatives on this trip saw the world in a very similar way. And while I feel that depth and understanding from a lot of our friends, like this group of people, their creativity I related to. And I left that trip feeling like, man, my creativity is what I am. Like I, I identify as an artist. And so sometimes in the business world, even though you're crushing it, Cole, even though I've stepped into e-courses and I've really scaled something, like sometimes I feel like I don't belong there and that I'm actually just an artist. Like, do you ever go through that moment of like, I don't know, like even though you're great at business and you're doing great, do you ever feel like I'm actually just a creative and I don't know how I got here? Yeah, every single day of my life. Yeah. And, like... and, and, the, and the fact that you're, uh, you know, it's it's very ironic, actually. I was at a, a dinner last night of that. Everything you just described, it was that. Yeah. It was like a table of a lot of film people, you know, a lot of uh, script writers, uh, directors. And I don't actually spend a lot of time in the film world. It's kind of like a newer interest for me. Yes. And. And I felt the same thing. I was like, wow, everyone here is so lively and so Creative. so much fun. And I'm so used to the opposite, which is I spend 95% of my day interfacing with, you know, really, really uh, focused startup founders or like executives at companies. Yeah. And, and absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a great point. And I think that I've had different moments of like frustration, you yeah. know, just kind of the, de the demands of where I'm currently at in my, my journey and building a company and, mm -hmm. um, all the opportunities, I guess, that I kind of have right now. But the way that I've in a sense come to terms with it is a few things. One is I still continue to do some sort of project or projects that feed that other side of me. Um, like for context in my limited time, uh, I realized in the past two years building a company and, and the path of entrepreneurship leaves you with very minimal time in order to like, just sit and be like, how is the wind making me feel today? Yeah. Which is what I used to do all the time. And so what I started doing is I actually started like a poetry project on my phone. 
Oh my God. I did and, that too. And yeah. And it's, it's those little moments. Like I'm, I'm saying in Ubers, I would be out at dinners and excuse myself to the bathroom. I'd be at a bar at 1am and be like, Hey, I'm going to step outside real quick. And I would just pull out my phone and like write two or three based on whatever I was noticing in that moment or something that caught my attention. And those little projects, I think really help just keep that part of you connected and alive. So that way, when you do connect, or when you do have more time to return to it, um, it's not gone fully. Yeah. And sorry. And, and, but then the second thing was just also realizing that like, even though I might not fully be doing the quote unquote as creative or as artistic work, um, as I might want right now, mm-hmm. The work that I am doing is is sharpening different skills that I can still see and have value. Mm. Like through through ghostwriting, I've achieved a completely different level of voice, of understanding how to differentiate, uh, editing, of refinement. And in doing that, I see all of those skills as they're still applicable to the larger arc. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel less conflicted about it mm-hmm. right now you know, from one creative to another, um, a really fun project that I've been doing. And it's also poetry because I used to write poems when I was a kid and I just got back to it. And Hay House and a couple other publishers emailed me and like, they were like, let us know if you have clarity on what your next book will be. And And you're like, great for asking. I know. It's poetry. I'm like, it's a collection of poems. I totally did. But that was after crying and releasing my identity in a women's retreat. No joke. I have to tell you about that. But like releasing (laughs) releasing the fact that um, and so I, I don't know, I think a lot of people who are listening, even if they're in the workforce right now, even if they own a business, there's something in their heart that is creative. I think we're all natural creative beings. And that's how we come into the world is seeing the world through this magic lens. And over time, we kind of lose that. And I think it's really healing for anyone who is in business or really deep in their career to talk about creative outlets, because everyone has something they wish was out there that they don't believe that can get out there or they let go of like a dream, you know? And, um, I just started writing down titles for poetry books. Um, one title I wrote was where the sky stops and it's just so interesting. It's like, Oh, that's a great title. Do you, I mean, are you being supportive Cole or are you actually like having your writer helmet on right now? No, no, I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you how to make it achieve both of the sides. Tell me. So I've learned that this is so again benefit of kind of the business side is it's taught me a lot about attention and attracting interest and what sells or might sell mm-hmm. and this really cool combination i've thought of for titles is um if you look at all of like the really really popular uh books that aren't pure fiction they all follow the same sort of uh formula which is they have a very overarchingly almost like vague, but more creative main title. Hmm. And then the subtitle is very actionable and tells you what you're promising the reader. Hmm. So for example, yours might be, you know, where the sky stops, that's that part one. And then part two, there are 99 poems that will help you put your feet on the ground and feel more present. So it's that combination where the reader is like, they're enticed by the, the, allure and kind of the dream that you're painting in part one, but part two tells them, yeah, but for real, if you read this, this is exactly what you're going to get. I love that. I love your validation. It always feels good. It's like, I don't know. It's like being a creative person and really owning that is, 
every time I'm around somebody else who is creative like me, especially with words, it feels like a sense of home, you know, like in oh, our for sure. business world. And it's um, sometimes painful, I think, to see the world in this way and to engage in business because even though business is fun and it can be very fun and even though it kind of feels like a game like you having been a gamer Cole like I'm the ultimate game game, yeah and you get like money on the other side and it's like um so I think it's just fun to talk about these things and for anybody listening who's at work right now not everybody is into words you know like you and I are and not everybody won a poetry award at age 11 about writing about my dad or whatever you wrote, you know? <laughs> shout out, shout out. Yeah, totally. I know. I think I won an award writing about a poem about a cow or something that was sick to, like, make people not eat meat, but then I still eat meat. So that we will shelf that. <laughs> cow, cows have great symbolism. Yeah, I like it. totally. So especially depending on your country. Um, so how to be a better writer. You, you, the first step you said, and it's interesting because when we were talking about your steps before we started recording, I was like, I think I'm going to need to hear everything he says. Um, you said number That's one. That's a good sign. Yeah, it is a good sign. Um, try and trust your vacuum of knowledge. Talk to me like anybody listening right now who has to write in some way or another. What does it mean to really trust your vacuum of knowledge? So this was a, a really interesting concept that got introduced to me uh, right when I moved to L.A. about two years ago. Um, I met a very, very uh, accomplished uh, serial entrepreneur. His name is Wayne Chang. He ended up becoming a, an early investor and advisor in our company. Um, it Just such an impressive track record. I couldn't even list it here. Just go look it up. And we were sitting down, and uh, it was like our first conversation, I think, and um, I was explaining to him what we do, what our company does. And I was telling him, you know, because he's kind of the, the sort of person that we work with, right? Founder, executive mm-hmm. type is our ideal client. And I was like, you have so much to share. I had, I had heard him speak at an event, and that's how we got connected. Um, and I was like, you have so much to share, man. You just, like... Even things in this conversation, you are you are changing the way that I think. And he would he, he kind of sat there with this like question on his face, like really. And I was so taken aback by that because I was like, what do you what do you mean really? Like of course, like yeah. of course everything you're telling me right now is changing the way that I think about entrepreneurship because you're talking from a completely different level. Yeah. And and what he said is he said. Oh, well, I think that's probably just because uh, I live in my vacuum of knowledge. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, I, I'm so used to what I know that I forget that it's not what other people know. Mm. And, totally. and that hit me so hard because it made me realize that not even just from like the people that we work with and our clients, but everyone, everyone has their own vacuum of knowledge and the things that you know, you take for granted and the things you don't know feel so far outside yourself and daunting that you wonder, well, how could I ever know them? Mm. And, and so that's why like the first thing that came to mind for me here is you have to really realize that wherever you're at, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. It does not matter how simple it might sound to you. Someone else doesn't know it. And the simple fact that someone else doesn't know what you know means that there's an opportunity for you to teach them. Mm. And one of the biggest things that people struggle with when it comes to writing or putting themselves out there or their career or building their personal brand or whatever it is, 
is it's that step one where people walk around and it's like this imposter syndrome. They're like, well, why, why should anyone look to me for knowledge? But what they forget is if we were sitting down and having coffee and I was like, hey, I genuinely don't know where Argentina is on a map. I'm horrible at geography, by the way. Mm. And, and, and if I asked someone that and they knew the answer, they would be like, oh, my God, I'll show you right now. Pull out their phone. They'd explain it to me. They'd be like, I went to Argentina this one, this one year. And, and they'd go into that golden intersection of I'm going to teach you and I'm going to tell you a story. And that is why it's so important to trust what you know and what your own vacuum is and then let everything else go from there and just share what you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever feel like, I think it's so interesting, you know, as Joe Polish has said to me before, it's like so hard to read the label when you're in the jar, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so like, what are some ways that we can figure out what we know? And I feel so silly asking that, but Sometimes I don't think, and you know, I kind of go through what that guy said to you, which is like, well, isn't this all so obvious? And it's not. So is there a way yeah. you've gone around the world and, and asked people or figured out what people value from you? Like, how do you navigate that? I mean, in the simplest way, right? Like ask the question is always a great one. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, if you want to understand the value of what you have, ask other people questions or pay attention to what questions they're asking. And that's your answer, you know? And I think spending a lot of time around different types of people, this was a big benefit for me of, of writing on Quora, which still is like a very unconventional platform for a lot of people. Yeah. But the benefit, the benefit of it for me was seeing how many people were asking questions that I knew answers to. Mm. And, and there was something really basic about that where I just sat at my computer and was like, well, hey, someone else has this question and I know how to do it, so why not? And over time, that trained this muscle in me where literally now I can't turn it off and it's kind of like, <laughs> it's difficult. But everything I do, everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, that's something you could write about. Oh, you could explain that. Oh, you could break that down into seven steps. Oh, you could like, that's just how I think now. Mm-hmm. But in the, be- in the beginning, it was as simple as someone else has this question. If I know the answer, just like, just answer it. Mm-hmm. Hey U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Business Launch Mastermind, our online course to help you launch your dream business. So if you're sick of being stuck and wondering how you're going to get new clients and you'd like to try a free version of our business launch course, all you got to do is head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash biz, that's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash B-I-Z. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I think that comes back to the truth that like not everybody is your audience. Your audiences are the ones that have that question. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great a great point. Like a lot of people won't answer that question because they're like, "Well, this is rudimentary knowledge, and if I'm answering this question, what does that say about me?" Yeah. They get all in their head about it, but it's like nothing nothing bad ever came from you helping someone else. Yeah. Period. Totally. So if someone comes to you and is like, hey, I realize that you just explained recruiting 101 to someone, LOL, mm-hmm. like chances are they're probably not a person you really want to talk to anyway. Mm-hmm. So whatever. So helpful. You know? And number two is a big one. You said after trusting your vacuum of knowledge, you said trust and consistency. So 
I'm so curious to hear how you have a routine or structure in your life to keep yourself consistent or how you stay motivated. And I think anybody right now at work, even just tying it there, it's like there's a lack of consistency people hold in their jobs, on their execution. Maybe they're uninspired, they're tired, and they don't want to show up. Um, and so I'm curious, like, how do you keep that motivation to stay consistent, whether it's writing or just in life in general? Well, what I what I mean by trust, kind of the law of consistency, is when you when you witness the process so many times, you start to realize that it's kind of like an undeniable truth. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, I played classical piano for about 18 years, and that taught like taught me in a very basic way. Hey, day one, I'm five years old. I don't even know what a piano is. You know, I'm 22 and I'm playing, you know, like Beethoven and Chopin and all of that. And so in that process, you just inherently internalize, oh, if I keep taking steps forward, I get better, you know? And then I, I did that same thing with gaming, you know, never played before, became one of the best. Did the same thing with bodybuilding, you know, skinny 90 pound, you know, kid to 180 pound bodybuilder. And when you keep going through that process, you start to understand that, just the act of being consistent oftentimes separates you from everyone else, mm. period. It really doesn't have to do with how smart you are. It really doesn't have to do with some magical, you know, force or, or, or even like necessarily a mentor, like things externally will help and amplify, but just being consistent. I, if I had a nickel for every single time I had a conversation and I realized that we couldn't even get to step two because the person was asking me questions and I realized that their foundation was flawed, they weren't being consistent. Mm. So if you're not being consistent, how can you build on top of that? You mm. can't. So that's why I think really internalizing and trusting that. And, and actually I'm, I'm putting this in a book I'm working on right now, which is like, you have to you have to understand that consistency is not I did it for two days. Why aren't I amazing? Mm. You know, consistency is like I've been doing this for a year, two years, four years, eight years, every day yeah. for multiple hours a day. Mm -hmm. And and it's only when you start getting into that that that's when you can actually judge your potential. Because if you're not, then what are you judging? You're judging air. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even exist. So how can you, how can you accurately tell whether you're reaching your potential or not, if you're not actually showing up? You know, it's so interesting. I think about that with this podcast because a couple of my girlfriends, well, a lot of them, the majority of them. So I guess I just live in the 1% is they, they get like one to 2 million downloads a month on their podcast. And I'm not really big on like watching people's grass and trying to make mine greener, but you know, like I don't have the keep up with the Joneses thing as much because I think I got traumatized by trying to play that game in my earlier twenties. And now in my thirties, I'm like, eh, I'm just doing yeah. me, you know, like lollygagging along. Um, and even with this podcast, like having, watching it grow from a hundred downloads a day to a thousand to 2000, it's like, it's still not where I want it to be because nothing usually ever really is. We're always chasing that ever elusive carrot, you know, that is going to make us feel whatever we think it's going to make us feel. And it gets me so curious, like in your process of being consistent and trusting what's possible with consistency, um, how do you talk to yourself when you want to kind of give up and you're like, this thing that I've been working on isn't working? 
Oh man. I mean, these are, these are all great. These are all the hard questions, you know, is I think that's another one, right? Like when you go after the trophy enough times, you start to realize that getting the trophy feels really cool for a minute and then it goes away. And, and I've, I've really in the past few years started to internalize the idea that anytime I've ever been purely driven by the trophy, the, the carrot at the end of the stick, um, I lose something. I end up losing more than I gain. Yeah. And, and you end up misleading yourself. And it's only when I'm able to realize that I'm doing that and I come back to a place of curiosity that then everything kind of writes itself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, probably the biggest shift that is important as people go along because you still want to achieve things and you still want to succeed and set goals and all of that's fine. But I don't think that you can go wrong as long as you're driven by your own curiosity. Yes. You know, and it's, it's staying connected with that part. That is what allows you to continue moving forward in a sense where it doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't have to be ABC. It could be a very winding path, but as long as you're following your curiosity, it's always going to lead you to just the next thing that you're curious about, which is the whole point of life. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going one trophy, then one trophy, then one trophy, it's like, that's more linear and you can maybe measure that in your head a little bit better, but chances are you're going to reach that trophy and then be like, Oh, I still don't have it. And then you like muster up some more energy and then you try again. And then you're like, Oh, but I could still, I could still be further. It's, there's a higher mountain and it's, it's a very fine line, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 And, um, kind of going to your third step, you said, so after, and those of you who are taking notes, cause everybody usually does. So try and trust your vacuum of knowledge. Number one, number two, trust in consistency. And number three, when you read online, become an observer. I love this because I know that this tip is going to be across the board in career, like becoming yeah. an observer and looking at everything that is output in the world as something you can study to be better yourself. So I'm curious about that. And what do you look for as an observer when you're reading online? So I was just trying to think like when, when this clicked for me. Um, it was probably 20, 2014 when I first, well, I think elements, like I've always kind of thought part of this way, but 2014, I looked at Quora for the first time and I was interested in the platform. My friend had said, Hey, if you're a writer, you should check this out. And I started reading it like crazy. And at first I was reading it out of interest. I enjoyed it. Um, I found it fascinating that these were people that were sharing what they knew, but it was coming from a very personal, very credible source, right? So if I wanted to learn about, you know, entrepreneurship, I'd be reading from a startup founder, not like a blog on a startup's website. And that difference I thought was really interesting, but it wasn't until maybe a few months in of just lurking and reading that I really started to question, okay, if I was to do this, what would I do? And that's when the switch flipped from I'm reading for entertainment to I'm observing to figure out where I fit into all this. Mm-hmm. And when I started looking at it that way, I realized that kind of mixture of everyone that was succeeding on the platform was explaining something. They were giving the reader the answer to their question, but they were also telling their own personal story. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of, I was like, okay, I can, I'm aware of that. I can see that I'm going to take that and try it and I'm going to run with it. And again, going back to 
what I said before this, try it wasn't, I'm going to write one thing. And if I'm not a viral sensation, I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Try, trying it for me was I'm going to write every single day on Quora. Mm-hmm. And if after a year I failed, I know I gave it a good test. Mm. People use the word try with such a lack of commitment to the word. Yeah. It's like the word try, people see it through such a non-committal lens because you're just trying. And it's like that Yoda quote from Star Wars. There is like, no try. Yeah, there's just do, right? Is that what he says? Yeah, there's do. There's no try. Only do or do not. Yes. And I, I just, um, I know like even in romantic relationships in my past, it's like whenever the guy is like, I'll try to be more, I'm like, oh, this is already over. Like, you know? Yeah, but but in all seriousness, it's like that when you're going to try something like define what, what that actually means. And if it's not, if it's not making you sweat in the process, it's not an accurate test. Yeah. And so that, that's what, what I did is I went into the whole process saying, I'm going to stretch myself. And if at the end of it, nothing happens, well then, you know what? I probably practiced a lot and I got better somehow Mm -hmm. or things might happen. And honestly, it was that year, that one commitment that changed the trajectory of everything. Mm-hmm. That was that was the year of first going viral. That was the year of starting to master that platform. That was the year of my first product. That was the year of defining my personal brand. That was like everything started yes. all by just being consistent. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and so that that skill of of observing and not consuming I mean, we live in the, you know, the digital social age now. I was reading this fascinating book on creativity. I read it a while ago and then again recently. And they said, you know, in this continuing uh, more and more digital culture, the greatest advantage you could possibly have is being able to turn it off and focus. And as I've really thought about that, I'm realizing how true that is because the people that get shit done are the ones that are able to say, yeah, honestly, like I don't even have Instagram on my phone. Yeah, and they're they're the ones who really like they don't look at social through the eyes of I'm consuming it. They look at it as a tool. Yes, and they're like, oh, if I use this, how can this how can this help me? Otherwise, I don't. I'm not, I'm not going to give it my attention. Yeah, you're, what you're talking about is one of my favorite concepts that discipline is freedom. You know, because yeah, exactly. if you can't focus and get your stuff done, your stuff is running you now whatever you want to be doing with your life, you can't get onto it until you finish the thing that you're working, you know, like, um, and I get that. And it's interesting for me. It's, I think a lot about that with like food, for example, it's like, all right, well, you know, I want to be healthy. And if I don't have the discipline to honor that, then my body's going to become a prison cell, you know? And so it's like, I think I have freedom when I'm like, I'm available to eat this pizza pie, you know, but it's (laughs) like, yeah, that's not real freedom because eventually that thing's going to hold me hostage. It's like, yeah, that's a great point. So it's, it's really, it, it's such all of these concepts, you know, I've, I've been talking and, and speaking, writing and thinking about them for years. And I'm still, I still struggle with like, of course, how, how do you help? How do you really help people come to these realizations? Because the truth is that these things didn't click for me, you know, by me just hearing them, just yeah. hearing them once you have to really like, you can hear it and then you got to be like, all right, now I'm going to take this and, and go to the ends of the earth to apply it to myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think 
you know, not everybody is meant to be doing what they're up to. So some people might try something and find out early in that it's not for them. And I think life is an experiment, you know, and your career is such an experiment. And so I think just asking people right now to consider what they mean when they say the word try, like what does a good try look like for you? It's, it's so empowering um, and takes this like nebulous nature off. Cause I think a lot of people are addicted to being nebulous because it makes them feel like they're doing something, but they don't have to commit to what they're actually doing. Mm, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'm going to give yeah. it a little stab. Like, what does that even mean? You know, there's like a luxury in being that nebulous and not having to commit. Or or kind of the, this idea that is really humbling, which is, you know, you, you love the idea of being something. You don't love being that thing. Yes. Yes, you know, like totally. everyone loves the idea of being a writer. Oh, I'm, I'm a writer, you know, and they call themselves that. But what they don't love is sitting in a room by themselves for three hours every single day, day after day. Yeah. And really being like, how do I feel about this thing? What, what do I think about it? Is that right? What would other people think about it? You know, like that to me is the biggest differentiator is are you in love with the idea of it or are you in love with it yourself? You know, actually, my ADHD got me. I think that when I got caught talking to you about my poetry book, I forgot to say one of the things I'm working on. So you've been on this poetry experiment, and I don't know if this would resonate for you too, but I've been trying to write one really good sentence every day. Mm, it's a great exercise, yeah. Yeah, so um, like I think the, the, recently I wrote, um, the loneliest place I've ever been is at the top and at the bottom. So that was my sentence for the day. Oh, that's 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 a great blend. You know? That's like very direct and literal, but also very poetic and metaphorical. I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, always can count on Cole for some poetic support. <laughs> I, I'm all about it. I think people really like, you know, the business side for me is kind of what catapulted first. But there <laughs> I'm just I'm continuing to work on all my creative projects. And I think just like. Just like Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think there will be a flippening that happens yeah. at a certain point. And I don't, I, I've, I'm such a firm believer in those projects. And I talk about it with so many of my friends or even founder friends mm-hmm. who run companies. And I'm like, yeah, but man, come on. Like, how's your screenplay going? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, so as we're wrapping up, your final point is the result, which is an unfair advantage. Um, I'm curious when you become an observer online, like what are some of the things you're looking at and observing for? And um, what is, what does the result look like when you're doing all of these things? I just, I just ask why. If I see a LinkedIn post go viral, I don't just like hit the like button. I sit there and stare at it and I'm like, why did that do what it's doing? If I see a Facebook post do really well, if I see a video with 100 million views, if I see an article that has 8 billion claps on Medium, like I always just look at it and I pause and I go, why is it doing what it's doing? Mm. And in, in doing that, I've realized that a lot of people, uh, whether or not they even get to that question of why, they look at kind of the world and especially the Internet through the lens of like, do I like it or don't I? Mm. And that is a that is a poor uh, place to end. Mm-hmm. You want to push beyond that because whether you like it or not is kind of besides the point. Um, what matters is why is it working? Mm. And that's where the people that are really, really great at what they do, doesn't really matter what the skill set is, 
they're able to stay in that place because they see the world based on um, like levers and things that they can change and variables and knobs they can twist and turn. Whereas I find a lot of people that struggle to get there stop at the, well, I don't like it or, oh, I love it. But that's not going to tell you, um, that doesn't give you any insight as to what things you can play with and change and actually tap into the things that are working. Well, this has been so helpful and I don't know where the hour just went, honestly, Cole. Um, but yeah. but um, where can everybody find you? And if you're a CEO listening right now, you're an executive listening and your team needs writing, um, where can everybody go? Digitalpress.com is our company site, personal site, nicholascole.com. Uh, I continue to put out new material on Quora uh, all the time, Quora and Medium. Um, and this publication, uh, Minutes as well, has been kind of my new focus. So all of these all of these things, I'm always putting out new stuff, even <laughs> to the point where you know I've written thousands of articles on the internet, but I see it all as practice. <sighs> and I hope, I hope that's kind of the thing that I continue to share and reinforce for people is like there everyone always asks like well when am i done you know and from my perspective never you you aren't done mm-hmm. it's a process mm-hmm. it's a journey so that's why for me i continue writing and publishing and sharing articles even as i work on other projects even as i build my company because i really i want to continue walking the walk and showing people like I treat this as a process and as a practice, and you should too. And I want to end this telling you, Cole, that my big brother sent me an article the other day about millennials. He's like, this is really well written. I'm reading. I'm like, yeah, damn, it is. And then I'm like, oh, Cole wrote it. (laughs) I texted him. (laughs) I said, oh, that's my friend, Rob, my big brother. So you're making Uh, an impact. One big brother, one gamer, one core reader, one CEO at a time. And it really is noticeable. So I'm so lucky we're friends. And thanks so much for taking your time to be here. Thanks for having me. Woohoo! Hey guys, it's Ash here, and I just love Cole. He's so good at what he does. He's built his multi million dollar company so quickly because he's so talented, and I'm just reflecting on that tip he shared of trusting your vacuum of knowledge. And I thought a lot about how far too often people get stuck in their careers because they they think that what they know and what they've mastered is obvious to everyone. And that's one of the biggest traps is that usually it's not. Usually what you know is not obvious to a lot of people. And if you really stepped into what you know, um, you would find that a lot of people want to know that too. Um, in my case, it's job hunting. Before I created the Job Offer Academy course, I was like, why would I create this? Like job hunting is so easy. And everybody's like, no, we need your, we need your tips that help me get a raise, that help me get a job. And it, it took that feedback for me to take that step. And so what I want to offer you now is that maybe in this moment, um, you know, you feel this like power on your fingertips. You feel your own power and you know that you're great at something. And Maybe the issue is that you haven't really honed it. And what I've learned about my own creativity, my own talent, my own skills is that it doesn't really move or progress 
until I put myself in situations that allow me to hone it. And so um, one of those situations doesn't necessarily have to be work-related. Like maybe when you take hip-hop dance classes, you get very inspired. Then I would put yourself, and you want to be more creative, I would put yourself in that situation where you're taking more hip-hop dance classes. Like these are some of the examples of ways that you can really hone a skill set and um, start to pay attention to who you really are and what inspires you. Um, another thing you could do is really start asking around of like, what do you think is my best, most magical uh, vacuum of knowledge? Like, what do you find me really good at knowing or understanding? A lot of people will give you feedback. And then the question is, what project can you take on or where can you go or who can you go spend time with that is going to help you tap even more deeply into that vacuum of knowledge? Because I think when you trust your vacuum of knowledge, like Cole says, you start to get more bold in the risks you take and the person you become. And that is what I want for you, for me, and for anyone who really wants to create greatness in their career. Um, in my case, It took a lot for me to realize, um, and there's so many people out there who write poems or write books, and it took a lot for me to step into a place of, wow, I really, I'm a poet. And instead of saying, well, that's silly, like, no, I'm not. I'm in a space of, well, I'm writing this book and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm putting myself around these people and there's no manipulation to it. I only hang out with people I want to be around as friends and I just happen to prioritize friendship first and as a result, magic happens in my career. But the more I put myself in the vortex of people who inspire me, the more I hone my creativity, the more magic seems to be happening in my career and that is what my wish would be for you. So... All of this said, trust your vacuum of knowledge, ask people what they see you as knowledgeable on, and ask yourself what circumstance you need to put yourself in, where do you need to go, what do you need to do, to create an environment where you can start honing that vacuum of knowledge and experiencing and exploring that essence of you and where else you can channel it in your life. And what would it look like if you put the volume um, up on that vacuum of knowledge to a 10 out of 10. What would that look like in the world? So sending you a lot of love, really honored your listening and hope this was as helpful to you as it was healing for me. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. 
There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.